one of the great stories of the 2001 team is every starter on the offensive line that year were Montana kids. And they took kids that had that were tall and athletic, and they had the frames that you could put the weight on them and build the strength, and they could become dominant offensive linemen. You and I have talked about Thatcher Delay before, how he played tennis in high school in Whitefish and how that helped his footwork. And, you know, he was a tall, skinny kid that they turned into a freaking beast who, you know, for my money, is one of the best offensive linemen the Grizzlies have ever had. And I think that was the, the key to their formula, is finding those Montana kids who wanted to be there, who grew up dreaming to play for the, for the Montana Grizzlies, had that passion, and then, you know, going to California, going to Florida, finding a Johansi Humphrey out of Alaska to kind of, you know, build around that roster of, of Montana kids. Well, happy now for our first repeat appearance on Grizz Greats. This is Grizz Greats, the 20th anniversary of the 2001 National Champion Grizzlies. And this guy, he contributed to our Grizz Greats Silver Anniversary podcast series as well, commemorating the 1995 National Champion Grizzlies. He's John Casper. He's a guy that has a lot of ties to the state of Montana. And now currently the Senior Associate Commissioner for Championships at the Big Sky Conference. Casper, thanks for taking a minute, man. How you doing? Great. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's a pleasure to uh, talk to you and especially about a topic that's uh, still near and dear to my heart. Well, first and foremost, let's start with uh, last weekend, because you were actually in Missoula. It was the 20th anniversary game of that 2001 National Championship team, and uh, so you got to see those guys for the first time in a long time. What was the experience like from you for your eyes? Because I know you covered this team heavily when you were at the Missoulian, but what was it like sort of coming full circle 20 years later and seeing some of these guys for the first time in a long time? It was really cool. I really wanted to get up there for that, just to reconnect with those guys, because you know, when you're a beat writer, you're around them almost every day. And I'm a relationships guy, so I tried to develop good relationships uh, with uh, many of the players on the team. And uh, it was just really cool to uh, see them, see what they're up to these days. Uh, it's, you know, crazy. The offensive linemen who all weighed 330 pounds, those guys have all lost weight. You barely recognize them. And, um, you know, just really cool to talk to them and, and see how much that experience in 2001 and, and just being part of the Montana football program means to them. So it was, it was a great experience. Well, let's paint the scene in terms of your connection to this because uh, you went to high school in Montana, grew up in Great Falls, and uh, then University of Montana for your college, and then started covering the Grizz in some form or fashion in the mid-90s. But then you were the full-time beat writer at the Missoulian in 2001, right? Yeah, I took over as the full-time beat writer the 1999 season. Um, so, and realized I'm not much older than those guys. I graduated I graduated college in 1997 and started covering uh, the Grizzly football team as kind of the secondary guy. You know, that following fall. You know, those kids that were like seniors on that on the 2001 team. I mean, I was around those kids from the time that they came there, and then you know, guys that were. Um, recruits on the 2001 team or, uh, you know, freshmen uh, develop relationships with them throughout their entire careers until I left um, in 2004. So, you know, as, as people may not realize when you're back, especially back in that era when newspapers were thriving, um, we devoted a ton of resources to covering the football team. So, I mean, I was at practice every, like every day. Um, I traveled, not, not, not with the team, but I traveled to every road game. So I was around those guys. And the coach at the time, Joe Glenn, he was a dream for a beat writer because he, that was, there wasn't so much, uh, you know, what's the word? 
coaches, coaches were, he was different. Joe was different. He trusted you. I mean, if he trusted you, you know, he let you talk to the players when you wanted to talk to them. You didn't necessarily have to uh, have everything scheduled and you only get 10 minutes and, and all that kind of stuff. So Joe allowed uh, freedom for me to really do a good job of covering the team and, and tell the story and uh, not only the team, but the individual players. So um, yeah, it was, it was just a great experience that year. The perspective that sports, especially because college sports, it's a moment in time for everybody when they're playing. And these guys are, I know now it's a little bit broader of an age range because of this extra years because of the pandemic. So you might have a seven-year age range instead of just like a four or five-year age range. But it is so funny because like you say, like at that moment in time, you weren't that uh, far apart in age from these guys, but you're a professional journalist and they're college guys. But I was thinking the same thing. You know, I was talking to Atu Molden last week or or Johanse Humphrey. I was telling those guys, man, like I'm only like six or seven years younger than those guys now but I was like 14 years old when those guys were starring and I was just telling them like you guys were like Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen to me it's crazy and now I'm just talking to them just like guys talking so it is funny the perspective sports gives you like that without a doubt and you mentioned Atu he didn't make it up there he was one that I was really looking forward to because obviously he was a great player but a character on the team and we were I joked with some of the players I asked them if they remembered um in the I think it was the St. Mary's homecoming game they played St. Mary's and he scored three touchdowns in that game and after one of the touchdowns he decided he was going to go you know pull the trigger on the cannon um got a 15-yard penalty for it but I don't think that there's been any other player that I know of you know that had, had the confidence or who's like you know what I'm going to go pull the pull the thing on this cannon after I score a touchdown so where everyone laughed about that. Atu was definitely, you know, a character. So, oh man, it was just tremendous to see those and it brought back a lot of of great memories. Well, let's talk about some of those memories then. First and foremost, let's talk about sort of the couple years leading up to it because the Grizz were in the midst of their first great run uh, from 93 to uh, 99, uh, an awesome run that included, though, Don Reed retiring, Mick Dennehy taking over for Don Reed, and then subsequently moving to Utah State after four years at the helm, uh, right before Joe Glenn enters the picture. But with success comes coaching staff movement almost always at the Division One, AA and or FCS level, and there was a lot of that, but it didn't really seem to affect Monty. What do you remember just about those coaching changes? Uh, because I know we, people were kind of shocked when Coach Reed uh, moved on. Maybe not so much when Coach Denny did just because they had had a lot of success. But what did you, what do you remember about just the, the staff movement at that time? Well, I, you know, it started in 99, and, and they had hired Bob Cole as their offensive coordinator and brought, you know, Drew Miller transferred in. And that 99 offense, and that's really when Yo kind of began to flourish in that 1999 season and they were averaging over 40 points a game and just had it clicking. And then, you know, the, the first round playoff matchup against Youngstown and Jim, you know, Jim Trestle was the coach. Youngstown was a great program and that's really not the kind of program you want to see in the first round of the playoffs. And, you know, it was a really good game against Youngstown. They ended up winning, I think by three points and Chris Hepner missed a field goal that would have tied the game at the end. And then boom, McDenny, he was gone. So, you know, and Bob, I thought Bob Cole did it, had done a tremendous job with that offense in 1999. But Joe came into, you know, a situation and, and he admitted as much. He's like, I, I got handed the keys to a Cadillac. I'm just trying not to crash it. You know, those were things that, that he used to say when he, when he took over that job. But 
you know, there were different coaches brought in. Um, some stayed. Billy Cockhill stayed. And I think Billy staying ended up being, um, you know, one of the things that helped Montana make the national title game in 2000 and make, you know, win the championship in 2001. Because you could tell that in the in the spring and fall under Joe's, you know, first time in practice that something was not right with the offense. And, you know, who can forget Joe's first game as Grizzly coach and they lose 10 to 9 to Hofstra at home. Um, and people were panicked because how do you take an offense that had almost everyone back and was averaging 40 points a game, like 10 points a quarter, and they scored nine points in at home in the first game for the head coach? You know, and then the next week they went and beat Idaho on the road and everything kind of got fixed. And I think a lot of that was because Billy was given more control of the offense after that first game. He wasn't the offensive coordinator, but he took more control. And, you know, they ended up making the run to the national title game in, in um, uh, 2000. So, but I thought that look at some of those co- coaches, the one that always comes to mind for me, a, a young Dave Dorn who, you know, was a defense, the defensive backs coach, and Dave's now obviously the head coach at North Carolina State. I re- I actually asked the players this. I said, when you, last week, when you saw Dave Dorn, you know, did you think Dave was going to be a great elite coach? They all said, yeah, well, we thought he was going to be a really, you know, big-time coach. Didn't know if he'd be a head coach, but was definitely going places, you know, in the college football world that he wouldn't be at Montana for very long. And I thought Mike Bresky did a tremendous job as a, as the Grizzlies defensive coordinator. And, and Joe and, and Mike Bresky had had a, a long relationship, you know, at, at Northern Colorado. And then that continued when Joe, uh, you know, went to Wyoming. Is the urban legend that there was for sale signs in Joe Glenn's yard after the Hofstra loss true? <laughs> Yeah, Joe actually made mention of that. <laughs> the, <laughs> Unbelievable. Last, Grizz last, fans are so crazy. Yeah. Last Friday night said that when he woke up the next morning, there was a note on his door about, you know, selling, you know, he might he might want to think about selling this house because he wasn't going to be there very, very long. But, yes, the uh, the classic overreaction of Grizz fans after after one game. But, but I mean, I, I'm going to be honest. I mean, I felt like you could see that coming, just that something wasn't right in, in the spring and, and in, in the fall practice. And the very first drive of the season against Hofstra, they had to call two timeouts. I still, you know, remember that because you're going, wow, like something just isn't right here. It is fascinating uh, just to see the little decisions that turn into big decisions for sure. When Joe Glenn was hired, coming from Northern Colorado, Northern Colorado had been outstanding, uh, two national championships at the Division II level, but oftentimes there's hesitancy, shall we say, about coaches that come from lower levels. Um, was there any, uh, when Joe Glenn was hired, what do you remember just the reaction of, of folks being when, when Joe Glenn came in? Well, I think you got to remember that Joe had been an assistant at Montana in the early right. days under Larry Donovan. So he had a lot of ties to, like, he knew a lot of people there. I think that Joe, there were only a few places he was going to leave Northern Colorado for at that time. And Montana was the right opportunity for him. And because Joe was such a player's coach, I would I would have loved to have played for him. I, I actually told Joe this on many occasions. Like, like we talked about earlier, I was young, right? I was just out of college. And I took a, I gleaned a lot of Joe's philosophies on life that he would share with me and on leadership. And I still use those to this day. And I think the players really loved Joe from the get-go. Now, some of his assistants, 
you know, guys like Harvey Patton, the running backs coach, I think I think him and Yo bumped heads quite a quite a bit because Harvey was a hard nosed guy that just he wanted to see the very best out of out, out of Johanse. But Joe Joe was the leader of that team, and you know he never wore a headset on the sidelines. He let his his, his coaches coach and let his players play, and I I think they liked that style. And I mean, obviously, when he went thirty nine and six and and went to two national title games and won a national title in in three years at Montana, so he must have been doing something right. Watching practices back then, we're not really even allowed to watch anything besides stretching now because, I mean, God forbid, these are world-class matters of national security. I, I joke, but you're allowed to watch a lot more practice yeah. back then. What do, you, what do you remember about the practice style being like? What was the practices like under Joe Glenn and that staff? Well, I brought up like the Johanse Harvey Patton. I, I vividly remember those two in one practice, just him getting on Yo and, and Yo coming right back at him. And I mean, they would get into, you know, little tips like that. For the most part, I thought Joe Joe was very loose. Joe was the type of guy that people would come to practice and watch. They used to have a lot of practices out, out at the River Bowl and you know, there would be guys hanging on the hanging on the fences and Joe would engage them and go talk to them and just let his, his coaches coach. But, you know, I'll also say, I'm sure we're going to talk about the offensive line because that, you know, Joe said that was really the star of the team and, and it, they probably were the star of the team. And those guys were mean and nasty. <laughs> and, you know, what they used to do to those, you know, young scout team players that were trying to go against, you know, Thatcher Zalay and Dylan McFarlane and Derek Decker. I mean, <laughs> those guys, you know, they probably learned a lot and made them a lot better. But Joe, I, like, I, I still tell people the story. You know, I was standing on the sidelines during a game and, like, right next to where, you know, the team area was. And uh, they were going to run a trick play. And Joe, Joe was informed they were going to run a trick play. Joe turned, and I was standing right by him. And he goes, hey, Casper, Casper, watch this play. And, you know, boom, it went for a touchdown. And, you know, it's just funny to think of a Division One college coach today, to, you know, engaging with a media member, member during the game like that. But that's who Joe was. Gosh, it makes me so jealous. I mean, I got a great relationship with Coach Alk, but like Coach Alk would never talk to me during a practice or a game. This is this would be so fun as a writer and a, and a just any anybody covering the team. Hey, it, believe me, it, it it was it was fun, and that's what you know. Bob, Bobby has his own style, and I love Bobby. We have a great relationship. I consider Bobby a friend. I've worked with him now for a lot of years. You know, as an administrator at the conference office, and he's always great to work with. And he's he's a great person. But coaches just have different coaching styles and different philosophies. And so, as a beat writer, yeah, it was really hard to go from Joe to you know Bobby in his first year as a head coach in in you know 2003. But I mean, we. We had times when the game would be late. You know, I vividly remember, you know, a late game in Sacramento during that era and uh, the fourth quarter and the Grizz had the game won. So I just went and interviewed the players on the sideline during the game um, to get to start, get, you know, getting my work done. And, Unbelievable. and no one had a no, no one had a problem with that. I, that I think that never, I would be banned for happened. life if I did that this day and age. Yeah, 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 exactly. I don't even I don't honestly don't know if Joe knows that happened. But <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, speaking of covering things, uh, one thing that was uh, maybe not, it was covered in a completely different fashion back then is recruiting. Now it's become so, I don't even know what, it's such a meat market. There's such a huge audience for it, but also sometimes Mm -hmm. some would say a little bit overblown. Regardless, all that aside, um, not necessarily how did you cover recruiting back then, but what did you think of recruiting back then? Because there wasn't as much narrative around it until the class was signed, but it seemed like Montana was just getting all the best players in the state and all the best players in the region uh, that, that they possibly could. Yeah, so I don't want to get anyone in trouble here, so I think that the statute of limitations has passed on this. I think so. But, I think 20 years, I think we're good. Uh, so what Joe used to do is when a player committed, he had an area on the whiteboard in his office, and he would put the player's name, position, and the parent's phone number up on the board. So if I happened to walk into his office, I would see that and write it down. And he wanted me to do a story on the kids that committed. So by NCAA rule, he couldn't talk to me about it. He couldn't right. tell me about it. And he never did, right? But I knew what the drill was. So when that happened, I could call. And, and we tried to cover those recruits. Yeah, I mean, it was a different era. There, were, there wasn't like the internet stuff and things like, uh, oh, I'm going to forget it, but one of those first recruiting sites was just kind of coming online. Um, but like I told you, I was a relationship guy. So I tried to develop relationships with those players that were coming to play at Montana on that initial phone call. Um, and, and, you know, Jayton Simpson, uh, who was a tight end, I, I told him this story. I said, you remember that first call I made to you after you committed? And I just, Jayton, I remembered like how excited you were and the exuberance and the energy that you had, you know, talking about coming up to Missoula for the first time from California and doing snow angels because you'd never seen snow before. And I always felt like those, those initial calls and wanting, you know, getting to know those kids before they ever really stepped foot on campus as players was important. So was there the, um, the competition with all the internet folks to try to get the, you know, the recruiting, you know, but I'm going to be the first to report that there wasn't, and there wasn't Twitter where kids or Instagram where the student athletes, you know, were on, on, had, they had their own forum and they're the ones now that announced that they've committed, you know, to play. It had to be different back then. They had to go through the old traditional channels of, of the media to get that word out. Man, it's so interesting to, to think of all this, but at that time, why do you think Montana was able to recruit so well? Because it seemed like they, there's always the, the there's always the delicate balance, especially at the FCS, especially in rural FCS places, like many of the big sky places are, recruiting good talent, but also developing that talent. And, you know, how do you balance that? How many raw, you know, skinny offensive linemen do you take that the hope then turn into guys like you were just talking to or talking about? So, I mean, what do you remember sort of about their formula and how are they able to get such great talent to the table? First of all, I think obviously having won that national title helped. And when, you know, that they had that tradition and, you know, hey, if you come here, you're going to, you're going to get rings. You're going to win big sky titles. You're going to contend for national championships. And then you bring a kid up to Missoula and they see what game day is, is like and they see how the city and the state embraces Montana Grizzly football. And, and, I, and I mean that for both schools, Montana and Montana State, that they both, you know, their game day experiences are tremendous. 
and you get kids up there, and those kids may also be, be being recruited by, you know, San Jose State or something like that, and, and, they're, and, and they go to a game day there and see, that, you know, the stands are empty, no one really cares. So I think in their mind they're saying, you know, yeah, do I really want to, you know, I, my goal is to play FBS or 1A as it was back then, or do I go to this place that's 1AA and play in front of a sold-out stadium every week, play in, in front of a community that embraces us and know that I'm going to get rings? So I, I think that they got a lot of kids that saw it that way, uh, that going to Montana was better, was a better opportunity. And, and they recruited Florida quite a bit back then. Sowers, I think, when he was the defensive coordinator, he had created a pipeline um, from Florida. So they and, and, you know, back then, Florida Atlantic, Florida International, some of those schools didn't exist. They didn't have football programs. Um, you know, Central Florida, South Florida were not, I mean, Central Florida was 1AA back then, Dante Culpepper, 1AA football. Um, they were able to get kids from Florida, like Calvin Coleman. I love, I love Calvin Coleman. He was a great defensive back. Maybe the, you know, one of the best cover corners that the Grizzlies have ever had. Um, but, but obviously they focused on Montana. And I think one of the great stories of the 2001 team is every starter on the offensive line that year were Montana kids. And they took kids that had, that were tall and athletic and they had the frames that you could put the weight on them and build the strength. And they could become dominant offensive linemen. I mean, you know, you and I have talked about Thatcher Zelay before, how he played tennis in high school in Whitefish and how that helped his footwork. And, you know, he was a tall, skinny kid that they turned into a freaking beast who, you know, for my money, is one of the best offensive linemen the Grizzlies have ever had. And I think that was the, the key to their formula is finding those Montana kids who wanted to be there, who grew up dreaming to play for the, for the Montana Grizzlies and had that passion. And then, you know, going to California, going to Florida, finding a Johansi Humphrey out of Alaska to kind of, you know, build around that roster of, of Montana kids. Well, the offensive line thing is, is so interesting to me because I've talked about this extensively. I think one of the cruxes of both the Bobcats and the Grizzlies is that you could always find your offensive linemen and your defensive linemen a lot of times, too, in state. And there's still a few, but like right now, Montana State does not have a starter from Montana. That's not true, actually. Justice Perkins is a walk-on from Bozeman, is their starting center. And Montana does not have a starting offensive lineman from Montana. That's not true either. Dylan Cook, right tackle, but he's a walk-on as well. But either way, those guys are both good players, but yeah, it's it, a far it, it, cry from like you're talking about. Casper Ware, Thatcher Slay, Brian Pelk, Derek Decker, yeah. John Skinner, Dylan McFarlane, and then like all the guys that were backups too were all Montana guys as well. Is it a coincidence or I mean how does how did that happen? Because I think that there's a distinctly unique thing, but also a very pivotal factor in all of this that those guys not only were they big, strong, and mean, but they also had such great pride in Montana being from Montana, all that. Yeah, I I don't you know I don't follow the where they're all from is closely now as you know I'm worried about cross country championships and, and things like that but that's fascinating to me that I didn't realize that they don't have that many you know Montana kids on their offensive line because man to me that's the heart and soul of your team and I, you know I don't know enough about Montana high school football these days to to know why that is but man in that era they seem to be pounding out you know six four six foot five athletic guys like I said that you could go and redshirt them for a year get them in the weight program and and build them to become, you know, not just good offensive linemen, but we're talking all-American offensive linemen at the FCS level and guys that got into NFL training camps and, and played 
you know, three, four years in, in the NFL. So, yeah, I mean, that to, that to me is a staple of, of success for the Montana and Montana State schools to have, have those Montana kids, especially on, on, you know, your offensive line. It seems like just yesterday and a lifetime ago that the University of Montana last claimed a football national championship. 20 years ago, the Grizz rolled to their second national title in seven years behind a Montana-made roster featuring some of the most memorable figures in the history of the Grizz. While much has changed with the Montana program and much has changed about Missoula, the one thing that hasn't changed is the trust folks around Montana can have in First Security Bank. First Security Bank has long been one of the fiercest supporters of the University of Montana and its awesome sports teams. And First Security Bank is proud to support Grizz Greats, the 20th anniversary of Montana's 2001 National Champions, a 20-part podcast series with interviews and memories from that unforgettable run by the Grizz two decades ago. First Security Bank, proud supporters, ESPN Missoula and the Grizz Greats podcast series. Let's talk about some of the other characters on that team. I did not know this until Atu Molden came on this Grizz Greats podcast. That he almost left Montana because he was playing defense and he wanted to play offense. And he said, let me play offense. And they did. I think probably a pretty good decision. He's one of the greatest receivers in Big Sky Conference history. But I had no idea that that was a circumstance. Uh, but Johansi Humphrey came to play defense at Montana as well. So just yeah. interesting that two of the best offensive players in school history were actually recruited to play on the other side of the ball. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I still remember a game... Cal State Northridge uh, down at that beautiful, beautiful stadium they had at Cal State Northridge, and I'm being sarcastic, um, you know, where Yo and, Yo and, and uh, definitely Atu was playing defense, and I remember covering a scrimmage where Johansi Humphrey had an interception, um, you know, as a, as a secondary guy. That's about recruiting athletes, you know, and maybe those things, you know, maybe that original spot doesn't fit. But yeah, moving Atu and Johansi Humphrey from defense to offense, I think worked out for the Grizzlies because both of them were number one characters and number number two, you know, two of the best players at their positions um, in school history. So, but again, it goes back to recruiting not you know not just players but but athletes that can you know change positions. I mean, Vernon Smith, who was a, a really good defensive back who played on that 2001 team, he actually was recruited on offense, and he made the switch to defense, and that worked out for him as well. No doubt. It definitely worked out for all of those guys. Uh, let's talk about the defensive side of the ball because I do think that Montana had garnered such an outstanding offensive reputation at that moment in time because Dave Dickinson and those teams in the 90s and then even when Dickinson was gone, I mean Brian Ayotte put up comparable numbers, which nobody thought was possible, but Ayotte put up ridiculous numbers and uh, it somehow then overshadowed what was really good defensive units and then became elite defensive units and then that's where then in the early 2000s the narrative for the Grizzlies sort of changed. They always were solid defensively, but then it became a program known for their defense, known for their front seven. And uh, it seemed like this group of guys, this team was sort of the beginning of that. So what do you remember about just the unit, the way it came together, and then some of the standout guys on the defensive side of the ball? Yeah, well, when I look at the 2001 team, I look at their secondary, especially the safety position. Vince Hunsberger and Trey Young. I mean, wow. You put those two guys back at the safety position, both I think were All-Americans. Vince, Vince for sure was an All-American. Trey, I think, pretty sure was an All-American. Vince was the two-time Big Sky Defensive Player of the Year, and Trey Trey was right there with him. And Trey's a kid that I could talk about for days. I love Trey Young. Love I Trey love Young. him as a, as a person. God, he, I, I, he was one of the ones that I was just so, you know, it's funny. With Facebook, you follow these guys and you're friends with them, so you see, you know, what they're up to. But I gave Trey a big 
big hug. I loved that kid. And and so you take those two guys, you had Calvin Coleman at corner. Calvin was a character. He was really kind of the joke, one of the jokesters on the team, and he was always having fun. And he'd do things like, Casper, this interview, I'm going to talk in the third person. So I want you to quote me in the third person. So, <laughs> you know, guys like that. <laughs> and then, you know, they had a run, of, you know, the 37 tradition of that era. Um, you know, guys like Jason Crebo, and then you had Andy Pedic, who was outstanding in the 2000 season, and then C. Shea Pitcher uh, from Anaconda. You know, that was his breakout year in, in 2001. And, um, you know, Kurt Coulter, uh, you know, unfortunately passed a, a few years ago. Guys like that, you know, on the defensive tackle, and then, you know, your linebackers like, you know, Matt Steinow, just tough-nosed guys, Joe Rosen. Or yeah, Joel Robinson, a local kid from Kalispell, guys like Dan Orizadi, who may not have been you know starters, but they filled their roles on the on the on the team. So yeah, you go back and look at, at that 2001 playoff run, and they shut out Northern Iowa in the semifinals, and should have shut out Furman if not for a last fluke you know Hail Mary play. Furman got their last six points. So again, you go back to we talked about Mike Bresky. And then I and and Dave Dorn. I think Dave Dorn had a major impact on that Grizzly team in, in 2001 as a, as a secondary coach. And um, guys like Lanny Robinson and and uh, old coach Houck, uh, you know, who were who were coaching the the defensive line. So they were a fun group to watch. They were physical. Mike Bresky loved to blitz. Um, they would send Trey Young on on safety blitzes quite a bit. They'd send Calvin on on corner blitzes, and you know I'm leaving out guys like like uh, Johnny Peoples. Um, you know Johnny was in the military, and they called him Grandpa because he was like 27 years old when he was was playing for the Grizz. And people have seen him lately, but he's like a professional bodybuilder. So his body, uh, I mean, puts anyone else to shame. Uh, the way he's kept himself in shape and still competes in in uh, bodybuilding uh, competitions. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the offense was good, but they would not have won the national title without that defense. And guys like Alan Sines, who was a freshman, that had a role. I mean, he came into university at 300 pounds. His nickname was Three Builds because he weighed 300 pounds on the, on the defensive line. So, yeah, those guys, Jason Francis is another guy, uh, you know, Jeremiah Bootenshane. They just had guys that they would rotate in on that defensive line and just, you know, get the job done. They were, they were a really good team unit. Thinking of that coaching staff too, Bresky's such a, a, a gruff and funny coach. Great storyteller off the field, so demanding on the field. Did he and Bob Cole have crossover? Because if so, that's a reality TV show in itself. No, I don't think they. I they might have. No, I don't think they did. <laughs> but you're right because I don't know if people know this, but both of them were Bob Cole. You smoke cigarettes. And oh, dude, that's what I'm saying. The Missoula would be out of cigarettes if those two guys were on the same staff. Yeah, but but Bresky was more of a little cigar type thing. He wasn't a cigarette guy. He was a more of a little cigar thing. And so, yeah, they both had great hair, uh, Bresky and Cole, and they both used to spend a little time smoking outside. So. At Blackfoot Communications, our mission is to connect people, businesses, and communities to their networks in Montana and beyond. Through Blackfoot sponsorships, local ambassadors, and public programs, we support initiatives such as the Emergency Broadband Benefit, Fiber Deployments, and Community Events. For information on our commitment to improving our communities with fast, reliable, and secure internet access, go to blackfootcommunications.com news.
Uh, let's talk about the 2000 season leading up to the 2001 season. The fact is, that, like you said, they lost the first game. They made a run all the way to the championship game. That seemed to have, I mean, that was like status quo at that moment at Montana. It was like every other year you're going to go to the national championship game. But do you think that just getting there but falling short had an influence uh, on that 2001 season? Oh, 100%. They talked about that last week when they were together. Um, you know, they got there and they came so close to beating Georgia Southern. They fell behind in that game. It was pouring rain in Chattanooga, um, came all the way back. And then uh, Adrian Peterson, not the guy that played for the Bears, or, or excuse me, not the guy that played at Oklahoma, but a, a re- like the best running back in, in 1AA football in that era. Um, busted off a long touchdown run to kind of, you know, or that sealed the game for, for Georgia Southern. But, yeah, I mean, they came together after that Hofstra game, and they did not lose again until that national championship game. And, you know, Drew Miller had gotten hurt in that game against Georgia Southern, so John Edwards came in and engineered that comeback. And, uh, you know, I think it was clear at that time, okay, this is going to be John's team in, in 2001. And, and you know, Drew, Drew was a great quarterback. Drew, for me, the best pure passer the Grizzlies have ever had. And, you know, I'm a Dave Dickinson fan. And so that's a little bit hard to say. But from a pure passing aspect, Drew was amazing. But Drew had a lot of injury troubles. So John, you know, John Edwards got a lot of experience um, in 2000 um, and, and played in that national, you know, played most of the national championship game. So, uh, you know, him coming into the season, you felt like, well, we have a quarterback now that has had that experience of playing in a national championship game. So that can, that can only, only help. And, you know, it's funny. You think, look back at that. Yeah. They lost to Hofstra. And then the next week they go to Idaho and that game was played um, at Washington state stadium. And, you know, Jimmy Ferris, who grew up not far from, from Moscow had a, had a huge game. And then, you know, they went on a run and everything clicked and, one Adrian Peterson run and we might be talking about two you know two national championships instead of one how good was that Georgia Southern team oh they were pretty good they had been the national champions all all I remember you you know you looked at them and their offensive linemen were small but they ran the triple option so that that's what they wanted they wanted small offensive linemen and you know historically Montana has not had a lot of success against triple option teams but they did a pretty good job that game, but it just, it really boiled down to one run by the best, you know, some people will say that Adrian Peterson from Georgia Southern is the best running back at our level in history. And it's hard to argue that, I mean, you know, he won the Walter Payton award, probably should have won it multiple times. Um, he, I mean, he was, he was a dude, as they say, like he was, he was the real deal. And he played in the NFL for several years, most notably with, with the bears. But, you know, it was a great run. They, Tony Romo was the quarterback for Eastern Illinois when they played them in the first round game. And they beat Eastern Illinois pretty good and then had Richmond come in, took care of them, and then, you know, had a great game with Appalachian State in the semifinals, um, which, which ended up being the last game on natural grass in uh, Washington Grizzly Stadium history because 2001 is the year that they installed the first, you know, the first turf field. So, uh, Jimmy Ferris had that catch in the end zone in overtime to, you know, send Montana to, to Chattanooga for the first time in a national championship game. But coming up short, I think, drove those guys to, to want to finish the job in 2001. 
couple more things for you here, Casper. Uh, first, I got to get your perspective on the quarterback thing because, like you mentioned, John Edwards gets in the lineup when Drew Miller gets hurt, and then John Edwards is kind of the man there. But as we know for pretty much the last 25 years in, in Missoula, <laughs> the, the most popular guy oftentimes in Missoula is the backup quarterback for the Grizzlies. It seems like there's always a narrative all the time. Well, what about this guy? We even heard it this year when six-year senior Cam Humphrey was the starter, and there's this upstart, really talented freshman in Chris Brown. And I just have always found it funny, but I know that Brandon Neal was a guy that a lot of Grizz fans wanted to know something about and wanted to see something from, even when John Edwards was winning all these games and being the field general like he was. But what, so what do you remember just about the, the, the dynamic of quarterbacks for the Grizz? Yeah, of course. I think the, the saying is like the backup quarterback is the most popular guy in town. And and Brandon Brandon helped them, no doubt, win that national title in 2001 because John, you know, quarterbacks get hurt. So you have to have a solid backup. And, you know, I think that homecoming game against St. Mary's, Brandon threw five touchdown passes. And even in, in the playoff game against Northwestern State uh, in the first round, Brandon played quite a bit. So, yeah, there was a little of that. You know, maybe maybe Brandon's better. Maybe Brandon should play. But believe me when I say the coaches know what they're doing. They break down film. They're with them every day in practice. Um, and John Edwards, and, and I love Brandon Brandon Neal. And like I said, he played a role in that 2001 team. But Johnny was Johnny Montana for a reason. He found ways to win the game. His attitude and his demeanor, guys liked him. They they wanted. He was the type of guy they would rally around. Was John the most gifted quarterback athletically or you know anything in Montana history? No, but there's only two guys in school history that can say they quarterback the Montana Grizzlies to national championship games. And you go back to that game, the national championship game in Furman, and, you know, I've forgotten a lot of things about that season. That was a long time ago, and, you know, the season's long. But you go back to that drive, the touchdown drive that they had where they went out like 90 yards for a touchdown. And early on that drive, there was like a third and eight. And John scrambled for a first down and ignited that drive. Go back and look at that drive and what that one play of him scrambling. And to me, if you look at that drive, that summed up who John Edwards was. He got number one. He he had the grit and determination to scramble and get that first down. And the rest of the drive, you know, little passes to Atu that he would turn in, you know, from a seven-yard to a 15-yarder. The offensive line picked it up that drive. And, and Yo had like a 21-yard run on that on that touchdown drive. But that John Edwards, that guy, that guy was tough. He was gritty. He loves to say the F word, and I love that about him. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, I have nothing but respect for John, for John Edwards. And he faced, he faced that. You know, I think there were times where they, he got booed that year because fans wanted to see Brandon Neal. And that wasn't fair. That wasn't fair to John for how many games that guy won as a starter. I mean, his one loss record, and I know, you know, it's not just the quarterback, but the quarterback means a lot to a football team, and his win-loss record is, is second to none in Montana history. 27-4 and four is a starter for Johnny Montana, so very, very impressive to be sure. Uh, two more things for you, Casper. One, is if, if there is, do you have an indelible memory of that 2001 season? Is, is there one thing that stands out or, or one thing that you think of when you think of that group of guys and that team? There is. They had a mantra that year that Joe started, how do you eat an elephant? And it was one bite at a time. And when I talk about Joe and life lessons, that's one thing I, when I'm faced with a huge project, like, a, you know, getting ready for a Boise basketball tournament, you can't do it all in 10 minutes. It's about a huge project and, and eating it one bite at a time. 
and, and doing it over time. That was what I think those guys believed in that year. Yeah, winning the national title wasn't going to happen, you know, the first game of the year against Cal Poly. It, it was going to be a process and a, and a long bite. And I remember getting to the Marriott in Chattanooga where the team was staying and, and I was staying, and there was a banner in the lobby that said, you know, like Chattanooga, Tennessee, the final bite. And that just – that's what that, that, that whole season was about. Um, ups and downs, um, you know, they won <laughs> – I mean, they they lost one game that year to Hawaii, but you know there were there were tough games against Idaho to close the regular season in a game that was moved because of September 11th. And I mean, that's the other thing you remember about that year is it is September 11th, and you know they had played in Hawaii on September 8th, and some Grizz fans got you know stuck in Hawaii for a while. But you know, like how are you going to come? You know, a, a whole week of season got canceled, and obviously the whole world changed. And um, you know, they navigated that. There was the Eastern Washington game. You know, where did Johansi Johansi fumble in that game? And and um, you know, if there's replay, that call might have been overturned on the field, and they lose to Eastern Washington instead of winning it uh, on a not too molded touchdown. But you're going to have things like that that happen in the season, close games. Heck, they they struggled to beat Idaho State that year in November. So you know, they they just stayed together. They knew what their goal was, and and they did. They how did they eat that elephant? They ate it one bite at a time, one practice at a time, you know, one game at a time. That's what I'll always remember about that team. Last thing for you then, that moment in time represents both the extension of this epic run of greatness for the Grizzlies, but also the last national championship for the Montana Grizzlies. I think in 2001, when the Grizz won that title, if you would have said, even if Joe Glenn moves on and all these different things happen, that that's the last title Montana would win for 20 years, I think that people would think that that's crazy. But it, it has been that, that long now, and I think that it affirms yeah. just how difficult it is to win a national championship. There's a certain element of luck. You can you have to get a good playoff draw. Montana's been back there and had multiple opportunities to do it, but I, for at the same time, I think it reinforces how difficult it is and how special it is because it really has been uh, that long, and it, it really is uh, that that rare of an accomplishment. So, I mean, what did you just think of the fact that it has been 20 years now since that title first came back to Montana? I think you hit it on it. It is really, really hard. I hope fans appreciate that now. I mean, it is really hard, and you do have to have things go your way and have the type of um, mindset on the team to do it. You know, these are 63 scholarships, and there's yeah, they're split amongst 85 players. But when you're playing 15, 16 games a year, you're going to have injuries, so you need to have depth to do it. But it's really hard. I know there's people over in the state next to Montana who, you know, they're they're talking about going to FB, FBS now because they've won, you know, eight national titles. And I told one of their beat writers this last summer, I said, well, I, I, I said, you know, th- don't take it for granted. It's really hard. Uh, you know, I was around that Montana program when they were going to national title games and winning national title games. And, you know, they've kind of had a downward um, trend the last 10 years where, you know, making the playoffs has been a good year, but they haven't made a, a deep run. And it can happen to the best of programs. It It is really hard to navigate a 15-, 16-game season and, and win a national title. Montana's been playing football for 120-some years now, and they and only two times in school history – have they won a national title? And their schools have been playing football longer than that that never sniffed a national title. So don't ever take it for granted. And don't think 
the next one's coming next year because everything has to come together for that to happen. Will it happen again? I think so. I think, you know, Montana's the type of program that can get back there and, and win it. But, man, it's hard. So don't ever take it for granted. No question. Well, this has been great, Casper. Appreciate it. This is awesome perspective. Exactly what we wanted to hear. And uh, Grizz Great's the 20th anniversary of the 2001 National Champions. John Casper, Senior Associate Commissioner for the Big Sky Conference, as well as the guy who was the beat writer for the Missoulian 20 years ago. Casper, look forward to seeing you again soon. But in the meantime, thanks so much for doing this with me, man. This was awesome. Yeah, thanks so much. I, I look forward to, hear, to listening to all these. It's, it's great stuff. So thanks for all you're doing for the Big Sky Conference and, and uh, uh, you know, Montana, Montana State football. So you do a great job, Coulter. Thanks so much.